thousand generations of Jedi Knights and Guardians of Peace, Justice, Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic. Last time, we discussed our most important canon update, update yet, met Exar Kun, and started the Dark Lords of the Sith. Now, in Episode 8, we talk about choice and falling to the dark side, find out why Alima really wants Ulic around, and introduce Momen. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in Legends. All right, and we're going to start, um, we're starting with Tales of the Jedi, Dark Lords of the Sith, which is set in the year 3997 BBY. That's, again, before the Battle of Yavin. The story was written by Tom Veitch and Kevin J. Anderson in 1994 and 1995 and published as a six-issue comic series. All right, so following the joint Jedi Republic fleet's retreat from the Empress Tita system, the Krath declared war on the Jedi, breaking all diplomatic ties. Quick refresher, Krath is the Sith cult led by those twins that we talked about last time. Um, In order to determine their best course of action, the Jedi call for a conclave on Deniba, where all Jedi throughout the galaxy are called to attend. As we will see, these conclaves are usually a terrible idea. Odan Ur, or our old friend from the Great Hyperspace War makes his first appearance, presiding over the meeting using the telekinesis inherent to his species, combined with the Force to speak to all attendants at once. We find that Ulik's wound from the Krath kamikaze attacks has not healed due to the Sith magic they were imbued with, and that many other Jedi were present and took part in the battle. Many of the Jedi present are worried about the great conflict that is supposed to arise, though the prophecies are so vague it may be another thousand years away. However, Master Vodo has not yet arrived with his student Exar Kun, leaving to seek forbidden knowledge. Kun, having departed Duxun, arrives on the Sith homeworld of Korriban, but finds it desolate and empty, a tomb world with nothing but reanimated husk that fight off the Tomb Raiders. The spirit of Nad then begins speaking with Kuhn as a ferocious storm appears. The storm forces Kuhn inside the great temple and Nad uses the force to collapse the entrance. This cuts off Kuhn's escape to his ship, ensuring that he can't get cold feet. Kuhn can only press forward to, a fu- to his future of great darkness. A little background here. This was the first time that Korriban was portrayed in Star Wars. Uh, The name was coined by Kevin J. Anderson for this series. And uh, for this reason, uh, Korriban's portrayal here serves as the jumping off point for much of what we know about the planet. It was a tomb world for the the Sith Lords of old. It was a nexus of dark side energy, and it was largely abandoned for much of history. And um, while we're here, uh, Canon Alert 10, uh, the Sith homeworld was made canon in two 2010 The Clone Wars episodes, though the name was changed to Moraban at George Lucas's request due to his belief that viewers would confuse Korriban with Coruscant. Uh, the planet that is shown looks largely the same as the portrayal in Tales of the Jedi and Knights of the Old Republic and other places. 
and uh, even includes uh, the Valley of the Dark Lords that, that we see. Uh, background information for the episode Sacrifice stated that the planet was known by many names throughout its history, uh, likely implying that both name both names Moraband and Korriban existed. And uh, like most episodes of uh, the Clone Wars, although this episode was produced and aired after Lucasfilm's acquisition by Disney in October of 2012. But before the canon reorder in April of 2014, uh, it's still canon because it appeared in the Clone Wars. So everything that appeared in the last season of the Clone Wars, season six, or the last season that has been made up to this point, um, happened after uh, Disney had purchased, but before the canon reorder occurred because Lucas... George Lucas himself and other people at LucasArts still had a lot of creative control uh, up until April 2004. Back on Deniba, Nomi and Ulik address the gathered Jedi who wonder if there's enough, if enough force was used to subdue the craft. Ulik, who has just been made the watchman of the Empress Tita system, is about to discuss his plan when one of the Jedi asks why Ulik would lead them after he failed in Empress Tita. But Keldroma has a different plan. Um, it seems much more akin to the Jedi that we know. He states that the war against the craft could be long and protracted and will almost certainly lead to the deaths of many hundreds or thousands of Jedi. Before Ula can continue, he is interrupted using Robert's Rules of Jedi Order by Master Shiodo, who gives a brief history lesson about the necessity of rooting out the dark side no matter what. At the same time, Kay notices the serving droids acting quite strangely. Ulik then announces his stunning plan. He will infiltrate the craft and destroy the dark side from within. While assembled agree this is a terrible plan, because it, it's a terrible plan, Ulik's heart is in the right place. He wants to reduce the number of Jedi and Republic casualties, stop a prolonged war against an enemy they don't fully understand, and end the dark side for good once and for all. Across the galaxy, Exar Kun is about to announce himself. In the Great Temple on Korriban, Friedenad's spirit leads Kun to a large crystal that contains the spirits of long-dead Jedi masters who fought the ancient Sith and lost. Nad, seeking to test his would-be apprentice, decides the trapped spirits have suffered long enough and shatters the crystal, destroying the spirits and releasing enough energy to collapse the room crushing Exar Kun under the rubble. Kun's body is broken. He cannot move, but he's not ready to die. Nag claims he can be healed if he simply accepts the dark side, but Kun calls out to his master Vodo, who is on his ship approaching Dediba. Vodo, despite being very far away, meditates on the force and reaches out to Exar Kun, still hoping to save his apprentice from darkness. However, Friedenad blocks this through the force saying that he controls Kun now and snuffs out the old Jedi master's attempts with such power that Vodo is thrown across the room he is in. Exar Kun is now alive or is now alone and dying with only Nad's spirit to help him. 
Despite feigning allegiance at first, Kuhn fully embraces the dark side and is healed by Nad, even stronger than he was before. As Kuhn rises from the ashes, his screams of rebirth are heard across the galaxy. Nad then begins teaching his Sith apprentice in the ways of Naga Sadao, but says he must go to Yavin 4 to complete his training. However, before leaving, the Sith Lords of old have gathered and they require another test of Kuhn, who is set upon by Guardian Beast and his lightsaber taken by Nad. Finding that he can no longer access the light side of the Force, he again gives himself fully to the dark, retrieves his lightsaber from Nad, and defeats the beast, passing his final test on Korriban. Before departing for Yavin 4, Kuhn tells Nad's spirit that he was only pretending to embrace the dark side, which Nad laughs off as an impossibility. Back at the Jedi Debate Club, the attendees all hear Kuhn's scream, which stops Arca mid-speech. The scream is indiscernible to the Jedi on Deniba, except Master Vodo, Kredo, and Selvar, who recognize it as Exar Kuhn. As they land on Deniba, Vodo predicts that the scream will be the first echo of a coming storm that will engulf the galaxy. Little does he know how right he is. It is at this moment that the Krath unleash their secret plot launching war droids in escape pods from a hidden starship that land on the surface ready to attack, while the serving droids Kay mentioned earlier turn on the Jedi and attack. The attack is so sudden the Jedi are taken off guard, and Vima is taken from Nomi's arms, though Slovar destroys the droid and saves the child a moment later. Master Arco shows off the ability to dismantle droids at a mechanical level that he learned during the Great Droid Revolution. But the droids are too many and programmed to swarm and attack the strongest Jedi around. One group gets to Uluk, who is saved by Arca's quick thinking. Just as Arca is about to give some more sage advice to his best pupil, he's stabbed in the back by a droid blade and mortally wounded. He dies in Uluk's arms, telling him the enemy knows only darkness, but he knows the light. Arca then becomes one with the Force. Uluk, blaming himself for his master's death, is comforted by Nomi but tells her she must de- he must destroy the dark from within so that no more Jedi are lost. Yeah, that's, that's going to go really well. Exar Kun arrives on Yavin 4 and is set upon by the Masasi warriors who accompanied Naga Sadao a thousand years before. These brutal warriors have lost much of their co- culture and society over the years and devolved into beasts, but are still strongly connected to the dark side of the Force and worship it and Sadao in some way. Kuhn, who still believes he can feign allegiance to the dark side, sends away the ghost of Frieden Nad, claiming to want no more of his help. However, when Kuhn is set upon by, by the Sith warriors, he still cannot call upon the light side of the Force, having made the choice to embrace the dark on Korriban. Kuhn attempts to flee, but is hit by a second wave of warriors who dismantle his ship and beat him into submission. But their high priest, Zithmanir, we're we're trying here with, with all these names, but this one has seven letters and only one of them is occasionally a vowel in the English language. So Z-Y-T-H-M-N-R. 
again, Zithmanir appears from 12 years of solitude and proclaims that Exarkun is the one they've waited for as the Masasi, Masasi drag him into one of their great temples. Following the grievous breach of Jedi Debate Club etiquette by the craft when their war droids took the floor without requesting permission, the Jedi went their separate ways with Nomi and Ulik heading to Asus. Ulik seeks recon on the Empress Tita system and Master Ud, the old Nettie, gives him a reference book written by Tita herself when she was 175 years old. Nomi, Ud, and everyone else with good sense attempt to warn Ulik off his foolish quest, but he was already stubborn and now blames himself for his master's death, so might as well just save your breath, he's gonna do the thing. Master Onan-Ur appears with a Sith holocron, which will become very important later in the story. The holocron shows another Jedi who attempted to conquer the dark side from within and failed, eventually killing his master and being consumed by the dark. Ulik is offended by the insinuation and accuses the masters of being cowards afraid to meet the threat head on. The masters depart coldly, having given their wisdom, but not their approval. While Ulik is brave, he's forgetting that the Jedi were ready to undertake a protracted war with the craft and offer even more firepower. Ulik and Nomi leave, and Kay tries one last time to reason with his brother. Kay offers to accompany, but is rebuffed and then says he also has a bad feeling about this. Before a tearful goodbye, Ulik departs the next morning as he and Nomi share one last kiss. Then Nomi remembers their other nights together and weeps as another love of hers leaves too soon. On good old Yavin 4, things are about to go from bad to worse for everyone not named Exar Kun. In the great Sith Temple of Fire, yes, that's its name, Kun is to be the blood sacrifice in a ritual where a Sith amulet is placed on a statue that looks a lot like Freed and Nad, and Masasi priests stand around the room to call upon the dark side. It really looks a lot like the ritual Stephen Dorff performs at the end of Blade with Sith instead of vampires, if, if you're really trying to get a mental picture here. Pillars of flame fueled by the dark side pulse all around the room as Exar Kun is suddenly released from the chains holding him. Unfortunately, the ritual also woke the Sith Worm, an exogorth captured by Sadao and transformed into the into the worm via Sith alchemy. Uh, it honestly looks a lot like a purple sandworm from Dune more than the uh, exogorth in The Empire Strikes Back. And the exogorth is the um, the thing in the asteroid that 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 the Millennium Falcon parks in briefly. Um, the worm is huge, filling the cavernous room and attacking Kuhn, who is still trying in vain to access the light side of the Force. Nad's spirit then speaks, telling Kuhn to embrace the dark side, take up the Sith amulet, and dominate the inhabitants of the world. Exar Kuhn finally realizes that he is only lying to himself about the dark side, declares his hatred for his master, Frieden Nad, and reaches out and reaches out in anger, drawing the Sith amulet with the Force. Finding that he can now speak fluently in the Sith tongue, when the amulet arrives, it clamps down on his flesh, increasing his rage exponentially and allowing him to focus his hatred through the amulet, giving him immense 
power in the dark side and the ability to fire blasts of dark side energy from his fist. He barely assumes control of the worm and the dark energy, blasting some of the temple dome and Masasi before killing the beast. The last vestige of, ex- of Sadao's control over the Masasi is undone, and they honor Kun for lifting the long curse. Exar Kun is now paramount, controlling the Masasi and more power in the dark side than even Sadao, who began this again by pulling two stars together. And just like most of us, he's had enough of Friedenad. The spirit finally finally says they should find Sadal's laboratory because he wants to be resurrected. But Kuhn is is tired of hearing the old Sith talk and uses a powerful Sith amulet to focus his anger and destroy Friedenad's spirit forever. As Nad dies a second time, he reaches out in the force to his only other students. Ulick's plan gets off to a terrific start as he's spotted at the moment he lands on Sinagar, the current ruling city of the Empress Tita system. Ulix is spotted and the crap set a trap using a public execution of some rebels as bait. At the execution, assassins strike out at Alima and cause chaos, leaving Ulick to jump in and save her, believing it to be a chance to win favor with the craft. However, Alima was not in danger as the attack was staged, a ruse meant to draw Ulik out, though Alima doesn't let on. In short order, Ulik is drugged and kept within the Krath Citadel. Satal wants to kill him as he believes Ulik to be a spy, while Alima is amused with him and wants to keep him for information and other purposes. Just then, Nad's spirit appears from Yavin 4, interrupting their discussion. With this last act, Nad reached out to Sadal and Alima Kito, telling them that Exar Kun is the real pretender to the Sith and that the Kitos, along with Ulik, are the future. Finally, Exar Kun destroys Nad's spirit for good, never to annoy any of us again. And since it doesn't fit anywhere else, we'll use the second death of Frieden Nad to discuss a completely new character to the canon uh, character called Momen. Now this is new for us because we're usually talking about very old information, but uh, spoiler warning here for the final arc of Charles Soule's Darth Vader comic, uh, which just finished up last December. Um, I'd skip ahead five or so minutes if you want to read it for yourself because we're about to talk about it and uh, spoil it. Uh, Canon alert 11. The Sith Lord Momen is an oddity in the canon and legends. In the canon and legends, and while his tale is not short, it is very interesting for our purposes because it is one of the it is one of only three glimpses we have seen of the Old Republic in canon, and it is by far the most in depth and the most recent, occurring in December two thousand eighteen. Initially, all we see of Momen is his helmet, which is shown as a powerful Sith artifact that Emperor Palpatine gives Vader, that Emperor Palpatine gives Vader to help him build the castle shown in Rogue One. Palpatine tells his apprentice that Momen's teachings were suppressed by both the Jedi and the Sith as heretical. Palpatine says he learned this by wearing the helmet himself. So, you know, it's going to be good. 
Vader takes the artifact to Mustafar, where it seduces an Imperial worker who wears the helmet and then takes on the spirit and personality of the long-dead Sith. Momin then tells his story. As a humanoid born during the Old Republic, Momin exhibited a strong connection to the Force and sociopathy as a, at a young age. He mutilated a family pet, then other animals, and finally created art to horrify those on his homeworld, uh, where he was eventually locked away for his crimes. But word of his actions spread, and the Sith Lady Shah freed him, taking him as her apprentice. She taught him the dark side, which helped Momin understand himself better, but he chafed at the title of apprentice and eventually killed Shah. However, Momin didn't care for the Sith ways and took on and took no new apprentice, as the title of master was also distasteful to him. Instead, he grew stronger in the dark side, and the Force told him to create a masterpiece of art to last for all time. See, Momin was heretical because he chose to enhance the dark side and the Sith through creation, not destruction, as the other Sith do. The Force told Momin to choose a city and create a superweapon. Oddly enough, the superweapon looks a lot like Darth Vader's castle. The weapon was powered by an engine that Momin would pour the dark side into at the exact moment of firing, thus slowing time and freezing all the residents in horror and anguish for all eternity. A work worthy of the... a work of art worthy of the force itself. But Momin was disrupted by the Jedi as his super weapon fired, killing countless beings on the planet and raising the city. Momin's body was also destroyed, leaving only his mask to preserve his spirit. It is strongly implied that the city that was destroyed was on the planet Mustafar and the act caused a cataclysm leaving the unstable volcanic planet seen in Rogue One and Return of the and Revenge of the Sith. So all that takes place um, in the Old Republic and it shows a Sith flaunting the rule of two, which is, you know, always a good thing. But it's also interesting because we're told often both in canon and legends that only light side users can retain their consciousness after death. Something that is express, expressly contradicted by Momin and Canon, as well as Frieden Nad, Mark Arachnos, uh, Matei, Palpatine, and many others in Legends. Um, but Momin goes further than any before him, and he doesn't use the transfer essence to switch bodies or stay confined to an artifact. He possesses anyone who wears the artifact, and after finishing his story to Vader, he works to resurrect himself. Momin, under the guide of assisting Vader open a portal to the dark side and see his beloved again. Vader force chokes Momin, but is intrigued, and Vader allows his help, though Momin fails eight times and is killed, then placed into another host after each failure. Vader gives him a final try, the ninth, and Momin perfects it, allowing Vader to start opening the portal. But Momin's creations have also caused the inhabitants of Mustafar to storm the castle, Vader is called away by stormtroopers and realizes what Momin has done, but is thrown from the castle by a bolt of lightning called by Momin. He then confronts and kills the intruders, giving Momin an opportunity to open a portal to the dark side, taking his mask from the host and his old body stepping out. Momin can now fully control the force as two red lightsabers and confronts the wounded Vader. 
They fight with Momin taking the upper hand and removing one of Vader's arms, lamenting the weakness of the current Sith for their myopic focus on the Jedi and claiming that Vader's master was hiding things from him. Before the killing blow came, Vader used the force to crush Momin's body under a large stone, killing him, though the mask remained intact to corrupt others later. So maybe those force priestesses that told Yoda that only light side users could retain their consciousness after death were full of it because Momin obviously did and was able to totally resurrect himself. Um, it also appears his consciousness is confined to the helm, so he could not appear away from the artifact, where Force ghosts are uh, less limited. There are now three parties to the Great Sith War. The Joint Jedi Republic forces, the Krath, and the Sith, with all three, part, with all three opposing one another. Back on Senegar, Uluk has been held captive by, by Satal for some time, despite Nad's claims that he would help the Cousins Kito. Alima and Satal's relationship is fraying, with Alima wanting Uluk released so that he can help the Krath, while Satal still believes he's a spy to be killed. Satal and Alima have a loud argument where it's implied that Alima wants Uluk for sex and that Satal is jealous of that, even though they're cousins. Satal eventually relents, but not before testing Keldroma, injecting him with a Sith poison so strong it would have killed lesser Jedi. Ulik lives, but the poison flows through his veins, and he is given over to the care of Alima. On the fourth moon of Yavin, Exar Kun now leads the Masasi as a god-king, but has no way to escape the planet he has ordered the Warriors Build to build large Sith temples to focus dark side energy. Kuhn then explores the ruins of the Great Temple where he killed the Sith Worm and is shocked to discover Naga Sadao's flagship, the Corsair, has been preserved for a thousand years along with laboratories and instructions for performing Sith alchemy. Kuhn brushes up on a few thousand years of alchemy and proves exceptional at the practice when creating new monstrosities. The Sith also find the Corsair is still functional, so Exar Kun follows the Force to confront the other students who he felt Nad Spirit call out to before destruction. Just outside Senegar, Kay, Tot, and Nomi have a half-cocked plan to rescue Ulik. Okay, follow me here. Nomi will attempt to contact him in secret to determine what he has learned about the Krath and report back. That, that's it. That's the plan. However, she cannot feel him in the force, so she has no way to reach him other than to allow, to allow herself to be captured. After killing a few guards, she's apprehended and brought before Ulik, who is making good on his promise to help, telling the Krath that their concussion weapons are obsolete crap against a good blaster. Satal questions Ulik about his knowledge of Nomi and accuses this of being a plot, but Ulik maintains his, his composure denouncing Nomi before the Krath and saying he will carry out her execution the next day. Later that evening, Ulik records a message to Nomi and conceals it in a servant droid, telling her to escape and return to Asis. He does this because his every move is being watched by Satal, but also this is a terrible plan as the droid is discovered immediately because, again, he's being constantly watched by Satal. By this point, Alima and Ulik have become lovers. He believes this relationship can be used to conquer the dark side, but his mind is clearly clouded as he can't really see the Sith poison or Alima's magic working on him. 
After viewing the message, Satal destroys the droid, sends 20 men to apprehend Nomi and an assassin after Ulik. In the dungeons, Nomi uses battle meditation, causing the craft guards to kill one another. She relays for a pickup with Kay and Tot, who swoop in and intend to go after Ulik, but are ambushed by Krath's soldiers. Ulik, meanwhile, quickly dispatch- dispatches the assassin and goes after Satal, with Alima not really trying to stop him. Nomi, Tot, and Kay confront Satal at the same time Ulik does. The Jedi intend to bring Ulik back, but he's angry, looking for vengeance for Arka's death. Satal uses his Sith sword to duel Ulik and is easily bested, but the Sith poison merges with his anger and grief over Ulik's over Arka's death, and Ulik's fall is nearly complete. All that is left is to strike Satal down in anger, a task which Ulik completes swiftly. Seeing an easy escape with their old friend, the Jedi try to leave, but Ulik's rage cannot be contained, and he lashes out at Kay, threatening to kill his own brother before the pro before the process with the poison and anger culminates with Ulik letting out an uncontrollable burst of dark side energy. The Jedi retreat and make plans to try again, but Nuli- but Nomi fears that Ulik is truly lost. All three factions are about to meet on Sinagar with drastic consequences. The Jedi have returned to Asus and are ready to mount a full-scale assault against the craft to retrieve Ulik. Tot, Dace, Shaunab, Kurultok, Kay, Nomi, and Oz Willem are readying to lead a team of starships, beast riders, and troops. Before they depart, Kay and Nomi speak with some assembled masters, including Thon, Ud, Vodo, and Odanur. The masters are divided in their opinion of the rescue operation, with Thon claiming it's a bad idea because Ulik has made his choice. Though Kay and Nomi counter that he has been tortured and drugged to further accept the dark side, so maybe it wasn't a conscious choice. Vodo and Ud both agree that Ulik may have been seduced without his knowledge or consent, but also stress that he cannot be coerced to accept the light either. The masters give their permission uneasily, but warn their apprentices that if Ulik has chosen the dark, he must suffer the consequences of his own actions, even if it means destroying himself in the process. The Jedi-led task force sets off for the Empress Tita system. At Krath HQ on Senegar, Ulik is still reeling from killing Satala and the effects of the poison. He and Alima seem to have their cards on the table. She knows he wants to destroy the dark side, and he knows she wants to learn from him and to, and to quote her words, be conquered. Alima gives Ulik the old Sith amulet that King Omen gifted to Satal on Onderon during the Friedenad uprising, even though she knows this will give him an edge over her. Xarkun, meanwhile, arrives on Senegar in secret, but notes that the Sith amulet given to Ulik is the mate to the one fused to his arm that granted him immense dark side power during the ritual on Yavin 4. Moments later, Ulik's rescue begins. The Jedi lead the assault and overwhelm the Krath, landing Kay, Nomi, and Kurl Tok in Alima's palace to find the fallen Keldroma. Alima attempts to conjure Sith magic, but is utterly defeated by Nomi's power in the Force, and she's left cowering behind Ulik. Nomi and Kay attempt to reason with Ulik, though that has never worked before, so why would it now? 
Arca hasn't appeared to Ulick since his death, and Ulick doesn't know it's because he has fa- already fallen to the dark side. Ulick grows irate and threatens them with the Sith amulet before being tackled and detained by the Jedi. Quirltoke and Kay are dragging him to the Beast Rider mount when Nomi stops them because the Master said Ulick had to stay if he made his choice. Though how this choice was any different from the Sith poison and torture-induced one he had previously made, we'll never know. There are words muttered about destiny, which again seems different from choice, and the Jedi leave with Nomi knowing her love her love is lost for good. Ulix still believes, however, that he's attempting to subvert the dark side from within. Mere moments after the Jedi retreat for Alsace, Exar Kun arrives in Alima's palace with his Masasi bodyguards. He wastes no time in dispatching Alima, knocking her unconscious with a blast of dark side energy. But Ulik won't be bested so easily. He matches Kun's skill with a lightsaber, something that few living or dead could hope to accomplish, and the two duel savagely. But as the two battle, the amulets awaken because they are in close proximity between Kun and Keldroma in strange force energy that manifests the spirits of forgotten dark lords of the Sith. Seemingly called out of time and space, the old ghost Marka Ragnos halts the duel and completes their initiation into the Sith, but not before giving another history lecture. Exar Kun is named Dark Lord of the Sith for his actions in finding the truths of the Sith and bringing them back from extinction, while Ula Keldroma is named his apprentice. Both are given Sith brands on their foreheads by Ragnos, who he says did this he says they did this of free of their choice because writers will, you know, beat a dead horse one way or the other. The two then share their most epic handshake in Star Wars history and forge a strong force bromance with each agreeing to live by Ragnus's edict. For the first time since Naga Sadao, the true Dark Lords of the Sith emerge to punish the galaxy. When Alima comes to, she realizes that Ulik's fall to the dark side has been completed without her. He is far more powerful in the dark side than he she could ever hope to be, and that the craft cause has been joined to the Sith against the Jedi and the Republic. Our number of Jedi update at the end of Dark Lords of the Sith in 3997 BBY. There are still thousands of Jedi across the galaxy. The number of Darksiders now is two Dark Lords of the Sith and one Krath inc- one Enchantress and my daughter angrily wondering why I'm doing this right now. Thank you all for listening to A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we'll get into the heart of the Great Sith War and begin the last arc of the core tales of the Jedi run. Please rate, comment, and subscribe to FOTOR on Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for the five-star ratings on iTunes. Ratings and comments help the show, and we really appreciate them. Follow us on Twitter at FOTORpod, or email us at FOTORpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. I'm Atherton KD on Twitter. And I'm at Lucas Amazing on Twitter. Thank you again, and may the Force be with you.